0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Killer Serials podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Parker. Our co-host, Tony Jones, uh, is taking a bit of a break working on some other projects. We've been taking a bit of a break. Uh, If you subscribe to the podcast, you'll see that we haven't posted a new episode. Uh, And sometime we took a summer break that seems to have extended into the fall. But we're excited to be back with a talking about a fantastic show that I think will be a classic uh, in television history. Probably one of, oddly, the most underrated shows in a sense of audience uh, kind of awareness. Uh, Probably one of the most critically acclaimed shows, and that's Rectify. And we're going to do something interesting and different with this series. Uh, Rather than Tony and I discussing it, I'm going to be uh, speaking with some doctorate of ministry students from Lancaster Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania uh, who are taking a course called Faith Formation in the Internet World, uh, in which we talk about doing faith formation in digital and social media spaces. And because TV is a place that draws such a wide and diverse audience, we thought it would be good to engage a series from a faith perspective um, and talk about some of the themes that arise. And a show that I don't think anybody in the class had seen, many people hadn't even heard of, um, so we're excited to talk about Rectify. And today, our first guest in this experiment is Coley Bativia, and she, again, as I said, is a doctorate of ministry student, and thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Ryan.
0: Can you tell us a bit about yourself, where you are, and what you do?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm Coley Bativia, and I serve as one of the pastors at a church um, in a town in in Wisconsin, a little town called Two Rivers. Uh, It's a beautiful place to be. We're right on Lake Michigan. Um, But in a lot of ways, uh, I don't always feel connected to what's going on in popular culture in the world. So it's neat to be part of a project like this.
0: Well, uh, it's great to to have you again. And to give a little bit more background, you and your classmates have already had some discussions about the series on the Moodle page on our on our course Moodle page and talked about some themes that um, you that kind of interested you in the show and Just to give a little bit of background, I'm assuming that most people who listen to our podcast have watched the shows that we talk about, but in case they haven't uh and it focused on a character by the name of Daniel Holden who spent nearly twenty years on Death row. For the rape and murder of a teenage girl. Um, But new evidence, new DNA evidence, nullifies that conviction and he's released from prison. And that is basically the start of episode one. And again, stretches over four seasons. Uh, Confession, I haven't seen beyond the first season. I'm slow watching this one because um, I want to enjoy it. Uh, Coley, have you moved past the first season or did you just watch the first six episodes?
2: I saw this. I watched the first episode of season two. Haven't gone beyond
0: that yet. Okay, cool. So it's interesting because this takes place in a small town in Georgia. And I've begun to think as I've traveled a bit and met uh, many, many different people that small town life is small town life, right? Um, If there's, there are probably nuances to Southern small town living that are different, but Um, One of the things about the show is that here is this accused murderer and rapist who's now basically released back into this small town, and everybody knows him and his family. And that kind of ripples out into the community. And I think that's one of the themes that you wanted to talk about, and I'd be interested to hear more of what you have to say, because while we're kind of focusing on the second episode here, I think the themes that you've picked out are really universal to the first season. Uh, And you talked about your interest in relationships, and I wonder if you could talk about what you kind of took away from the second episode or the whole first season about that kind of theme in the show.
2: Sure. Um, Well, and while while you've been talking and giving that introduction, I, I made a connection that I hadn't made before. Uh, me living in in small-town life now and the small-town life that we see in the show. Um, the town that I live in right now uh, is the smallest town that I've ever lived in in my life. Um, so there's been some some interesting things just for me personally, kind of getting used to, to small-town life here. Um, and what you say about... Uh, you know what
1: happens in the show with with people knowing each other and and people judging each other and thinking that they they know what's right. Um, you know, I can I can see that in in my town too. You know, families know each other and many families go way back. Uh, and then you make you make judgments about other people, and it's hard it's hard to break those. And we see that happening in the show with people. Uh, Viewing Daniel either, you know, 100 percent convinced of his guilt or totally convinced of his innocence. And they have trouble um, letting go of that uh, because that's just the environment that they're steeped in. Um, And I hadn't really thought about that until you were talking
0: just now. You you had talked about the some this notion of healthy and unhealthy relationships and and what surprised you about some of the characters and their relationships with one another.
1: Yeah. So in the in the show, um, we see a, kind of a complicated web of of different relationships, um, familiar relationships, and sexual relationships, and friends, and uh, it overlaps in different ways. And as I was watching it, um, I was watching to see which which relationships were healthy um, and which ones weren't because uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of relationships in the show that that maybe shouldn't be happening. Um, you know, people having affairs that they shouldn't be having, right. and so on. Um, and and so that made me think in more general ways about which relationships were healthy or not. Um, and so i was I was kind of surprised by some of my conclusions um, that one of the relationships that strikes me as the healthiest uh, is the relationship between um, Daniel's sister, Amantha, and uh, John the lawyer. Um, that they, they have some kind of ongoing sexual relationship, um, that really they shouldn't be having, you know, that's kind of off limits. He's their lawyer, you know, she shouldn't be involved with him in that way. Um, and yet at some point they did get involved and as we kind of see happening now, they're having trouble breaking out of that. Um, but at the same time, um, My analysis of it was that their relationship seems to be um, fairly healthy, at least compared to a lot of the other relationships in the show, that um, Amantha and John are very honest with each other. Um, You know, they they recognize that they're not supposed to be having this relationship, and yet they're both um, kind of willingly going into it that way anyway. Um, She's very open and intimate with him. Uh, We see in episode two, she's in his hotel room and uh, she goes to the bathroom with the door open, uh, which is just a very obvious sign of of intimacy and closeness yeah um that they that they feel
0: so and you you bring up a good point because there's a threat to all these relationships because the senator knows about that relationship and of Mm -hmm. course we don't know where this the series goes right but it's clear that early in he wants to leverage that against them should it proceed to another trial right yeah Uh, Talk about the differences between – I want to bring up another couple, and I want to know what you make of it, and especially when you compare this to John and Amantha. What do you make of Teddy Jr. and Tawny? Because that is the weirdest – she – I don't know what to make of her at home. If you talk about Amantha using the bathroom with the door open, like – Tawny can't yeah, even shower. Inter- she's got to close a the door. That's a very interesting
1: comparison. And I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. But in the same exact episode, yeah, Tawny um, shuts the door from her husband when she's taking a bath. And, um, and what happens in the episode is that he's peeking through the crack in the door to watch her, and she doesn't know. Um, and then when she finds out that he's been watching, he, she knows that he's there because they're talking through the door. But when she finds out that he's been, been physically watching her, um, she gets clearly very embarrassed and ashamed about it. Um, so that's, that's an interesting contrast, um, between Amanda and John and, you know, Tawny and, and Teddy that they're, they're married. Um, but she's keeping a a physical barrier between them in that way.
0: So there are, like I said before, there are similarities and differences between small town living, um, you know, the world over. Right. But one of the things about the South is this conservative evangelical Christianity that kind of has kind of bit harder than it has in other places. And there's an interesting contrast later in season one, when Daniel wants to go be baptized there's a one of the characters express a shock over that because he does not come from a religious family, right? But Tawny is super religious, and I wonder if her discomfort is bound up in what I might call sexual repression in her religious community. I don't know what you if that resonates with the, your viewing of the show at all.
2: Yeah. I think it definitely could be. It's it's hard. I think it's hard to see her exact motivations, but it's clear that she is uncomfortable um, in their relationship. Um, she's uncomfortable with that kind of level of vulnerability with him, um, and he tries to use. It seems he tries to use her religion almost against her in the conversation. That they have. you know, he says to her like, "Hey, this is okay. We're man and wife." really trying to play up some of um, some of the language that's used in those religious environments that sure. sexuality is saved for that relationship and he's saying hey you know we have this relationship so it's okay um, and but she seems you know un, unconvinced um, even though she does kind of eventually let him in to see in some way she's she's clearly' un, and hesitant about it still.
0: Yeah, and I wonder if um, there's this there's this characteristic that goes with Tawny who is probably the sweetest character in the at least in the first season, right?
2: Yeah.
0: And but yet she is so bound up in shame. Uh, and I don't know if you see that shame in other characters. Certainly not the Holden family, right? I mean, yeah, they're relieved that Daniel's home, but there doesn't seem to be any shame there, and he's the one accused of rape and murder.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, in episode two, anyway, uh, Tawny seems to be one of the one of the few people
1: who's really reaching out to Daniel in in a genuine way. Um, that. And that's another relationship that I labeled as a healthy one, Um, at least from what we've seen uh, so far. You know, we'll kind of have to see how that keeps going in future episodes and future seasons. Um, But she she reaches out to him in a way that seems really genuine and kind and seems to be the first really the first one to actually have a connection Um, with Daniel, that she treats him like a person who's capable of having thoughts and feelings. And I noticed that she's also one of the few people that wants to talk to him about things other than, you know, what happened while you were on death row, which is such a big topic for, you know, so many of the characters want to know what happened. And they ask him, they ask Daniel questions about what happened or, you know, what, what were you doing when you were in prison? And Tawny, they talk about it a little bit, but she really doesn't seem interested in that. You know, the questions that she asks him in the conversation that they have, um, really is about other things.
0: That's a good point. And you, you got me thinking too about Tawny in a different way. And it's almost like, I feel like I have to apologize for judging her character, um, because, I'm wondering if she doesn't have some experience, if there hasn't been some past experience of abuse or that she feels shame for, like she's been mistreated in a way that, uh, in the way that Holden is, or that Daniel has been accused of mistreating another woman, right? That she Mm. knows some of that shame. So I don't know. I guess we'll have to see as the series progresses. Um, There's this theme that goes throughout that you detected pretty quickly in your um, post is of being alone and being lonely. Yeah. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about that.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that I noticed, um, especially in episode two, but we can see it a lot in, in the whole first season, um, is this contrast between loneliness versus actually being alone. Um, and there are many times, uh, where Daniel is clearly lonely, um, that he's disconnected from other people. Um, you know, in, in now that he's, out of prison, and in the real world, he's having trouble connecting with people. But when when we see the flashbacks to him in prison, um, it's obvious then too, you know that he's secluded in his cell and is not allowed um, to be with other people. There in this episode and others, we see a big theme on touch. You know that that he's been so starved from touch um, that that he hasn't been able to touch anybody. Um, well in prison. And so he's just, he's totally secluded and, and lonely and starved for real relationships and real connections. Um, but at the same time, uh, he's not, he's not really alone. Like there's always other people there. Uh, when he was in prison, um, he kind of had these neighbors that he couldn't get away from that would talk to him through the wall. And there was there was no escape from that. Or, you know, there were guards who were always supposed to be watching. Um, and then when he gets home, it seems like it's almost more of the same thing that, that his sister, Amantha just almost won't leave him alone. Um, that she's constantly worried about him and constantly surveying him. Um, they get up in the morning and Daniel's not there and, and she's like, you know, all frantic, well, where is he? And she and John, uh, go out and drive around town looking for him, uh, and then sit at a distance and watch him. Um, you know, so he's, he's kind of always under surveillance even now that he's out in the real world, um, So there there are always people there, um, but at the same time, you know, none of those connections are are genuine connections that he's he's being watched, but but always very lonely still.
0: So can you contrast that with a character that wasn't in prison? Where do you see that those tensions or those themes outside of uh, outside of Daniel and his experience? Was there one I mean there may not be, but was there a character that you're like, Oh yeah, this person is embodying that tension of being alone versus being lonely?
1: Yeah, well and I saw it I saw it too with Tawny, you know, and we've we've talked some about her already, but um I, I felt that she You know, she has trouble connecting with with other people, despite um, her real interest in wanting to do so. She connects with Daniel, um, but many of the other people that she reaches out to don't seem to want to to return that to her. Um, There's a couple times where she tries to reach out to Amantha um, and Amantha really just kind of blows her off. Um, doesn't want to engage in
0: a <laughs> Amanda, relationship with her. Samantha doesn't really like anybody in her family except Daniel, right? And yeah. be her mom.
1: Yeah, and and she, she, I think I think she's okay about Jared. I did notice in episode two, you know, when I was looking for relationships, um, that Jared and Daniel play croquet in the backyard together. Yeah. And and you kind of see it from a distance, you know. We don't really know what they're talking about or what's going on, Um, but there are some hints that that could be a good, healthy relationship for Daniel.
0: Um, And we don't—it's a way for Daniel to kind of um, kind of regain a sense of childhood, right, or teenage mm -hmm. years that he lost, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, the, he's, he's you know, and we don't know really how well they knew each other um, before before Daniel got back out of prison. But it's, it's interesting not to well. see. Th- yeah, yeah, not well, certainly.
0: Unless Jared visited <laughs> in prison because Jared, I don't think, yeah. he was born, right? If he's been yeah. in prison for 20 yeah. years, maybe visit him in prison. Hey, yeah. speaking well, um, of— no, yeah, that was,
1: that was just... I got the impression that Jared came to visit him. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'm making that up, but no. but I got that
0: impression while I was watching. Speaking of prison, um, I want to ask you a personal question, and then I want to relate it to the show. Okay. Um, what do you or had you thought much about kind of the prison system in America um, before watching the show? And then secondly... Does this show make you think differently about prison now? And I'm going to ask this of everybody that we talk to. Um, the
1: the knowledge that I have of the prison system is admittedly limited. Um, I, I am aware and, and do have convictions that the system that we have currently is flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sort of have this vague impression that when I was growing up, um, you know, and learning learning about the way society works, um, that you know, prison was supposed to be this place where where people would, you know, kind of learn to do better and and then get out and be able to to live a regular life again. Um, because of the lessons that they've learned, or whatever, um, but now that i'm that I'm older, like I'm realizing that that's not true. Um, that our our prison system is really not good at all at reforming people. Um, that people get out and sometimes have kind of no choice but end up back in again because we're not providing um, support or or resources for people. Um, I'm being in Wisconsin. Uh, I'm aware of at least some of the dynamics in the city of Milwaukee, um, which is one of the one of the most segregated cities in the country, um, but not one that's that's often talked about. Um, and I I bel- I'm pretty sure that Milwaukee has the highest rate of of previously incarcerated African American men. Um, or something like that, that Mil- Milwaukee has a big problem um, with
0: incarceration of black men. I just did a quick search while you were talking is that uh, that the incarceration rate of African-American men is is uh, staggeringly high. In Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and yes. your and your thought on the sh- I mean, did the show make you think differently about those practices or.
1: Um, I think I think it kind of reinforced, um, some things that I'd been thinking. Uh, it's interesting because most of the, most of the conversations that I'm aware of about our prison system right now, um, are more about race. Uh, and, and the, the show at least so far really doesn't get into that. Um, you know, that the, the main character is white. And so we're not, you know, we're not hearing, um, the side about, about you know, how, how much more percentage-wise African-American men are, are incarcerated. Um, but it, right. the show does bring up all sorts of points about, you know, Daniel's just kind of dumped in the street almost. That he's really not provided with with any kind of resources about how to reintegrate back into real life. Um, And we see it in lots of ways um, throughout the show that he really struggles with with dealing with being in the real world now. And, you know, his whole his whole life in prison um, was really limited in a lot, a lot of ways. And now he's yeah, he's dumped back into the real world and has to deal with things, but isn't as far as we're aware anyway, is not provided with even any kind of counseling or, or anything that might help him deal with that.
0: I'll probably discuss this in a later episode, but I, I was talking to um, a friend who had watched the show and I said, you know, this is PTSD that he's struggling with Mm -hmm. and the show does a phenomenal job of conveying that through its editing techniques. But you know, later in the later in this first series, Samantha does say, Hey, let's go back to Atlanta because there are people there who can help you, right? There are people who know yeah. what you've been through. But to your point, um, what if you're released from prison, um, and it's not even as dramatic as having been on death row, but you don't have a family, right? I mean, at yeah. least Daniel has two people, really three, two, two or three people who really do care for him, um, even though, and even in that situation, you can see how real the struggle is to put your life back together. hmm Yeah. Anything else you want to say about the show before we go? We're trying to be disciplined with time here. Uh,
1: I I did I did. Think oh, I had of another question.
0: I, say what, what, say what you want to say, and then I'm going to follow up with one last question.
1: Okay, sure. Um, I just I I something I noticed about this show that I thought was really cool. Um, was how short the time frame is. Um, and several of our classmates commented on this, that it took us a while to realize. Um, but each episode is only one day. That's right. And and there's no space in between them, you know. So the, the first episode being six, or the first series being six episodes, like that takes place over the course of six days. Um, and And you don't. You know, there's so much going on that you don't really realize it at first, I think. Um, But then just kind of all of a sudden we were like, whoa, you know, this is this is so short. And as I was thinking of that, um, I was realizing that it it's interesting. It really gives you a full understanding of who these characters are, because we know exactly what they're doing in their whole day. You know, there's really no time for them to do anything else um, cause we see so much of what they're doing. Um, you know, Amantha wakes up in the morning, Daniel's not there. She goes looking for Daniel. Then she's, she was with John at the hotel and then they go out for lunch and then they go back to the house. You know, we, we know kind of exactly what, what the, the day looks like for all of the characters. Um, and that gives us a really interesting feeling of, of knowing them pretty well, um, that we know exactly what they're doing in the day.
0: That's a great point, and I think it adds a – it kind of makes those smaller moments more sacred, and it gives these writers – or it gave the writers the opportunity to do those small things that you talk about where if you're trying to cram a huge amount of time into 10 episodes, for example, you might skip over Daniel laying in the grass, right, Mm -hmm. or or something like that. So, all right, last question. Is this a series that you would feel comfortable – engaging your faith community around? Good question.
1: There would absolutely have to be, you know, some kind of disclaimer about <laughs> adult themes, obviously. Um and again, but,
0: in a setting where we read about rape and murder and pillaging in our Bible every day.
1: Well gotta put the
0: disclaimer in here for these T V shows, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and that's, that's true too. And I've had some funny conversations with youth. Um, we were reading the Esther story and they got scandalized. It was talking about concubines. They didn't know what it was. I had to explain it. And then like two verses later, uh, we read, we read something about eunuchs and my high school youth didn't know what eunuchs were. And then I had to explain what a eunuch was.
0: Did you get complaints from parents?
1: No, no, but the the look on these teenagers' faces—they were just so shocked. And one of them actually said to me, "Pastor Coley, th- that's in the Bible." <laughs> and I and and I said, I said, you know, I I could show you things in the Bible that you would not believe. Yeah. Um. So so that's you know it. it these kinds of stories, yes, are in the Bible. Um. But people aren't aware of them and but, aren't
0: reading those stories. That's true. And this is a similar story. I mean, some of your classmates touched on the biblical and, you know, kind of implications of Daniel and having been in kind of prison and, you know, but again, I think you bring up a good point. This is the type of story we don't often engage in pop culture, right. Of de- life on death row and being released from prison and what is justice and all these things. And so, but even with with that disclaimer, I think you it gets a sense that maybe it is at home or would be at home in faith circles or should be. Yeah,
1: yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, I I think we should be having these conversations more often. Um, that this is this is important stuff for us to talk about, and um, you know, even if it feels like it doesn't relate directly to us, you know, if we don't have a family member on death row or whatever, um, but so you know. Like, like so many TV shows, um, there are so many themes that are exactly what we're dealing with in real life with, you know, relationships that are healthy or not or consensual or not. And um, how, do we, how do we navigate um, trying to build genuine relationships with people and, and all sorts of things that are totally applicable to real life and exactly the things that we should be talking about in churches.
0: Coley, thanks for being with us. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this recent episode of Killer Serials. We'll be back probably in a couple days with another discussion about Rectify. Go watch the show. It's amazing. It's good. Yeah. Thanks, Coley.